The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, forever. Forever. (laughs) Coming at you from the great state of Texas. Texas. This is Bridge Radio, and that was the A.W. of Realison across from me. Silence. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot to say my name. Yeah, I don't know what. Say it, say it, say it. That's because we haven't been together for one episode. And you guys were in Michigan. That's why. I know. And then we got the president right next to us. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Presidente, do you want to tell our audience what we were doing up there in Michigan? So far away from the great state of Texas. What were we doing up there in Michigan? Oh, yeah. We were doing some recording for Bridge. We got some exciting stuff coming up. What what, what are some of the things that we got? Uh, We're excited to announce one thing. You're going to touch on it. We've got Bridge Radio Espanol coming up. We've wow. got uh, a gentleman up in Michigan, and uh, he he's a final year student at PRTS. He's mm. going to be getting his THM coming up here pretty soon, but uh, he is going to be the voice of Bridge Radio yeah. in Spanish. Espan- and- that, that's great, and for our audience, uh, you guys know that we are in a border town. And uh, one of the things that the ministry uh, is doing is make sure that we are ministering and teaching solid reform uh, theology here in in Laredo. Yeah, yeah, I that's mean, that's that's our mission. And, and right now, uh, Eduardo is actually preparing uh, the doctrine of the church. He's already he's already doing recordings yeah. in the studio up there in Michigan. Yeah. So a lot of the stuff is going to be being rolled out uh, come come the summer, probably yeah. the end uh, end of the summer. So I'm excited. Uh, we also saw Justin. Yeah. How crazy was Justin that? Justin Peters. Oh, uh, yeah. The- that was wild. We were walking out of PRTS. We were walking out. Me and Steve, it was raining, and, a, and I just see a van pull up, and then these two guys get off, and I, if you know Justin Peters, he, he has cerebral palsy, so he needs he needs help getting getting around. And so I see this the passenger door swing open, and, um, and I, I kind of look in, and then I look up, and I went... Justin and he goes Julio and it was me. And he, and he goes, "What are you doing here?" I was like, "What are you doing here?" And it's just hilarious because J- Justin and I have seen each other in the last two months three times in different locations, and we were like in the total twilight zone for a minute. Steve was like, "That was nuts." The but, dude is all—he's all over the world. Yes, literally. Wow. I mean, flying all over. Yeah, he and is. To, I mean, to believe that he was in Grand Rapids, Michigan, <laughs> the same day while we're walking out and yeah. running into Julio, a Spanish dude up in Michigan. It's like, what is going on here? He probably, he probably thought he was in a twilight zone or something. Yeah, we, yeah, we were for for a minute. Um, well, that's great. All right, so we're we're Bridge Radio. If you're new to the program, and please subscribe. We're on iTunes, Windows, Google Play, every major podcast platform. You could also no. download Bridge Radio. Uh, or, or, I'm sorry, not Bridge Radio. Don't download. You're already listening to us. The Bridge app. Download the Bridge app on the App Store. Just type in Bridge Ministries. You'll see our name, slogan, which is coffee and good news, and you could find a lot of theological goodness there. So before we introduce our guest today, we're going to be doing a free book giveaway as we always do. But Abe, it's not one book. It's five books. Cinco, Cinco libros. Cinco libros. By Igthrus <laughs> Press. So uh, today we're going to be talking about R.C. Sproul Jr.'s book that was just released, Growing Up With R.C. Truths. I learned about grace, redemption, and the holiness of God. And we're going to be asking a question about a time that Dr. R.C. Sproul punched a student yes. in the face. Yes. And when he, he was a student, too. When he was a student. Yeah, yeah, yes. when he was when he was a student. Yeah, yeah. Not, <laughs> not punching a student. When he punched when he was a student, he yeah. he, he had an experience and, and, and it's brought up in the book. Yeah. And there's a lesson to be learned there. It was actually a moment that really impacted mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Sproul's life. Yeah. And so we're gonna be bringing up this question. But if you email me 
at juliobridgeman at gmail.com. A little uh, short description of what happened. Also, drop a review on any of our podcast platforms. That will allow you to win a free copy of the book that we're going to be talking about today. So, again, the first five winners, free, and everyone loves free stuff, right? Yep. Anywhere in the world, guys. I just want to make it clear. So, our international audience, uh, it's open open for you guys, too, okay? We're not singing you guys out. This is anybody in this world. Mundo. (laughs) So, again, the answer to the question is what he experienced... After that event, after yes. he punched the fellow student in the face. Yes. What a weird way. <laughs> yeah, that's a, it's a great story, by yeah. the way. So, All right. Well, Dr. R.C. Sproul Jr. is a gifted teacher and frequent conference speaker who has served in various ministry roles, both inside and outside the church. He has authored several books and series, including Economics for Everybody, Believing God, Tearing Down Strongholds, On today's program, we will be discussing his latest work, Growing Up with R.C. Truths I Learned About Grace, Redemption, and the Holiness of God. Thank you, Dr. Sproul Jr., for joining Bridge Radio today. I'm happy to be with you guys. Before before we we uh, we dive into this, bro, I really want to express how much your father, since today's discussion is going to be about your father, how much he has impacted um, us individually, me, uh, Abe, Steve, mm-hmm. and and just what we do here as a ministry. Um, his 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 works really blessed us, yeah. and and we really look to Ligonier, a mm-hmm. ministry that that he founded, yeah. and as kind of you know a a an objective standard yeah, of what model, we do yeah. here yeah as 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 of, of as of a model so and, and our guests who have been on uh who have uh just told the stories mm-hmm. about uh your dad's influence yes. on their lives you know we had a uh, dr steve lesson uh, author of mm-hmm. bible and world history told us a great story about your dad um you know i would Maybe after we're done with the podcast, we could tell you it was a really funny story. Right. It is a funny story from back in the eighties. <laughs> well, just... Steve, Steve has more than his share of funny stories about my dad. <laughs> I, I don't begrudge him that because he enjoys them so much. <laughs> he, yes. he's always laughing about something. Yes, <laughs> he he's a great guy. So, RC, I really appreciated uh, in reading your book how you started out with uh, being so transparent and honest um, with regards to. You know things that you've dealt with in your life. Uh, you started out uh, with the DUI story, um, and then you you quoted First uh, John one nine, which says, "Does this then mean that I can sin all I like? Since he's declared me innocent, can I go on sinning? No, because the promise in First John one nine isn't just forgiveness, but cleansing. He is cleansing me from all unrighteousness." I do not receive grace because I am getting better. Rather, I am getting better because I am receiving grace. And I think that's so good. It's, it's just such a clear example of the gospel. And so I, I wish, I'd appreciate it if you would uh, talk about that a little bit and talk about how important it is to get that order correct. Well, it certainly is. I, I want to say in a sort of overarching sense that uh, it's fair to say that I wanted this book to be a book about the gospel. Mm-hmm. I did, uh, as you point out, start out uh, telling and recounting uh, the event of my own arrest for driving under the influence and uh, all that went with that. And, you know, I, I, I'm, I've been working on a, a new book uh, tentatively titled 
the scandal of grace and the grace of scandal. And I was, I've mentioned to several people, one of the blessings of having scandal in your life is it just removes the temptation to pretend. Mm-hmm. It just, you know, at least when that scandal, you know, is public, people know about it. It's like there's no, there's no use in me pretending to be a, uh, a, a, a particularly pious fellow because everyone knows I'm not. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, but that that it is a blessing because it it again throws me back on the mercy of God. Uh, I just uh, read something today. I, I don't know if I can quote it exactly right, but I just read today on Twitter and retweeted it. Someone said, "Suffering is not God getting back at you; it is God getting you to come back to Him." Mm-hmm. That's great. Now That's I don't great. want to. Yes, it is. I don't want to portray my sin as suffering as if I was the victim instead of the right. the victimizer, but the point is still the same. Right. Uh, the hardship and the, and the shame and all of that has to drive us back uh, to Christ, and we have to believe the fullness of the gospel, which is not just forgiveness, mm. but it is cleansing and healing and being made better. Mm. So I, I wanted to start there for a number of reasons. One, because also, you know, it is the elephant in the room. Mm. Uh, I've been pretty well uh, silent since my DUI, and uh, and for good reason. I mean, I've, I've been tweeting a few things, but mostly silent since that time. Um, and I know it's on people's mind, and so I wanted to tell the story. And I also, however, like I said, I wanted this to be a book about the gospel, and I wanted it to be particularly about how my father uh, taught me about the gospel in a, uh, for want of a better word, a visceral, uh, internal, uh, emotional way. Because everybody mm. knows my father as this giant of an intellect mm. mm-hmm. who can parse justification and run circles around everybody else who's trying to do the same thing. And, mm. and he was all that. Sure. He was brilliant, and that's important. But but my concern for uh, myself, my concern for uh, my tribe, my concern for the broader evangelical world is that we really do have this disconnect between our heads and our hearts. Mm, yeah. uh, and particularly the Reformed branch of the evangelical church where, you know, we, we, we sort of take pride in our ability to make sure all our uh, theological I's are dotted and T's crossed. Mm. I like to describe it this way. We're perfectly happy to uh, confess with our tongues that men are totally depraved. Right. What we're reluctant to do is confess with our hearts that I am a sinner. Yeah. Uh, and those are very different things. You know, yeah. one is a doctrine about man. Mm. The other is description of my character. Right. Mm. And I, uh, but they go together because you know my character is what it is, and I need the gospel. I Amen. need to come to Christ. I don't just need to understand it. I need to own it. I need to rest in it. Mm-hmm. I, I want through this book for people to come away more resting in the gospel. Hmm. Whereas, again, in our tribe, we tend to think that uh, we're sanctified by having more understanding of how we're saved uh, and less understanding of that we're saved. Yeah, yeah. That's great. It's so important to make it personal. It's easy to talk, as you say, about total depravity, but but (laughs) to make it personal and say that he's talking about me. Yeah, Yeah. I I was in a devotional this morning, and there was a... 
it was uh, it was about meditating on the word of God. And one Puritan said, um, you know, in, in in terms of prepping for sermon and meditation, he said he said apply your whole self to the text, and right after apply the text to all of yourself. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's that's that just kind of goes to what uh, Sproul Jr. has has been saying. Um, are you still there? I'm still here. Okay. Yes, All right. and, 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 and and concurring peacefully and quietly. I'm trying to be more Baptist. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> that's great. That's hilarious. We're yeah. charismatic down here, so you know, anytime you want to just shout and <laughs> oh man, yeah, get get crazy. Yeah. In uh, yeah. In uh, in chapter one of your book, you said I did not so much learn from my father as absorbed him. One of the blessings of organic learning is that it does not just encourage the learning of uh, learning of proposition, but it trains the mind in how those propositions relate. Can you flesh that out for us? Well, I can try. Um, you know, one, one of the struggles that I've had uh, as my father's son is understanding that other people didn't all the advantages that I had. When my father, uh, he did two things for me. One, uh, he taught me how to think. And even that was organic. It was just listening to his arguments, uh, even if they're arguments with me, listening to how he reasoned sort of shaped the way my mind worked. And then because that same mind uh you know, understood, grasped, and taught uh, sound systematic theology, uh, when he sort of uh, put that information, that theological information into my head, it all clicked really well. It all came together. Uh, it's like my father was this this machine that could could create a perfectly uh, plumb <laughs> and flat brick wall and every bit of information was a brick that just went right in its exact correct place a good analogy. Uh, again because he's the one who made me in the first place mm. uh, yeah. uh, I, I tell the story somewhere in the book I'm not sure if it's there about uh, uh, this one time when my father spoke at a Ligonier conference our big national conference in Orlando and uh, he was uh, clearly tired and weak and pale and struggling to get enough oxygen. And I mean, it was so sorrowful that I, I, I was sitting in the back of the uh, sanctuary and just watched as person after person just walked out of the room weeping because they couldn't stand to see him struggling so much. Mm-hmm. Well, over that over, overnight, he got some treatment. He got some oxygen. He got probably some sort of steroid uh, to help with his breathing. And he came out the next morning, and he was like thirty years younger. Wow! <laughs> and he gave this powerful, overwhelming presentation on uh, unbelieving epistemologies, on on behaviorism and naturalism and logical positivism. And, you know, he does, did what he does so well. He's just taking their, these, these foolish pagan ideas and just showing how immediately self-contradictory uh, they are. And it was just, it was like watching Willie Mays play baseball. <laughs> except, except uh, I wrote a book on that same idea, and I'm watching him give this lecture, and I'm starting to get frustrated, thinking I toiled for hours and hours and hours <laughs> trying to write this book, and now he's just 
casually giving my book as a lecture like it's no big deal and and yeah. how dare he and and take my book and use it this way and uh, by God's grace, uh, the blinders were removed, and and I was reminded of this obvious truth. You know, R.C., your dad is not stealing your book. It's <laughs> yeah. his lecture that you wrote the book from. Oh. <laughs> <Everything> that, <laughs> That's great. Did not come from you. It came yeah. from him, and he's just uh, you know reiterating what he already had. Uh, so that was a real uh, uh, blessing. Now, again, like, as I said, the hardship is that. Uh, I have this expectation that everybody knows that. Just last night, I was I was teaching a Bible study, and I was talking about uh, the character of God. I was talking about how can Jesus be both God's Son and be God at the same time. And I was talking about how, you know, one could argue that the defining quality of God is his aseity. Hmm. And I asked the people that were gathered together, who remembers what a seity is? And there was this awkward silence. <laughs> when I remembered, hey, not everybody had R.C. Sproul. Right. Their dad right. <laughs> to tell them what a seity is. Um, and, you know, so went and did that. So that's the kind of hardship that I'm, I'm talking about uh, there, that that it's it's just... It all seems so natural to me right. that mm-hmm. I just assume that everybody knows it. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's, I, I want to hang here for a bit because uh, there's a lot of us. Uh, what we know of RC is just from the outside, Ligonier Conference. Um, you know, reading his books. Mm-hmm. But what are a couple of things that not a lot of people n- know about RC Sproul and maybe the things that he did that that you would like to share with with our audience? Well, again, I. I <laughs> There are different things that people liked about my father, and and I don't want to overstate this, but my experience has been that, again, most people's, the the favorite thing they loved about my father was that he made them feel smart. Uh You know, that he had this capacity to take difficult, complex ideas and explain them in a way that that people who weren't necessarily uh, professionally trained could understand them. I mean, that's the the very hallmark of what Ligonier Ministries is all about. Um, And it's true, and it's it's good, but but, uh, it's not the fullness of who he was. And and it it wasn't—he didn't look at— theology as a kind of parlor game hmm. something where you know we we study to show ourselves smarter than our brother mm-hmm. you know I, I always joke about how uh in the reformed world uh well you know when when two dogs meet each other they have a rather peculiar and unpleasant <laughs> way <to> know each other. <laughs> yes <laughs> when two reformed people get to know each other that's not what they do happily instead what they do is look at each other's books yeah they go to the bookshelves and they and they assess you know yeah. who do you have on your shelf you know which of these books look like they've actually been used which yeah ones are here display and and who can you work into your conversation well you know as van till says and uh <laughs> right. you know, that kind of thing so w- what i'm trying to get to is i want people to understand about my father that theology was real to him hmm. that he understood our need for grace and again so many of the stories in the book 
are really just accounts of my father either uh, showing grace to me or, at an, another perspective, showing grace to me while teaching me to better show grace to others. Mm-hmm. And that's what I want people to, to sort of get that glimpse. I mean, you know, it's, it's true that my dad was charming. It's true that he was witty. Uh, he was very entertaining as a speaker. He could make you laugh. Um, but even that is is just a, a shadow of the real thing of what he was uh, in person in you know away from the spotlight. Right. He, he was always a lot of fun. Uh, I, I talked in the book about how in his humor, his humor could be uh, others deprecating <laughs> rather than self-deprecating, mm-hmm. but never in a cold or mean way. Mm-hmm. Always with a wink. It was always with a, an encouragement, like a coach saying, come on, you can do better than that. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm on your side. Yeah. Um, and so I, maybe that's a good way to put it. I, when I was uh, blessed to have the opportunity to, to write the epitaph that would go on his gravestone, I thought about it, of course, long and hard, and I wanted it to be something like him that was both profound and simple, mm. something that was deep and, and, and revealing of the character of God, uh, but also easily graspable. So what I wrote was very simple. I, I said this. And you can see this on his tombstone. Mm-hmm. He was a kind man, yeah, who served an even kinder Savior. Mm. That was good. Wow. And you know, one of the ways that I've described it over the years is to borrow the the Old Testament uh, language of describing our Father's love for us. That Hebrew word Chesed, mm-hmm. uh, which is just so prominent, so frequently connected again to our Heavenly Father. And the idea there is not just of love, but it is a loyal love. It is a faithful love. Mm -hmm. And that was my dad. My dad could be loyal to a fault. That is, he could be, you know, he could stand by people who were disloyal to him. He was exceedingly naive. You You would watch him being people go and say, hey, Dad, you know, I don't, I don't think that person means you well. But he was innocent. that He couldn't even hear you give that warning. Hmm. And so he, he got taken sometimes. But he was just, you know, again, very, very loyal, very, very uh, trusting, uh, very gracious, and very loving. Hmm. I, I will always remember, uh, I think it was Stephen Nichols, they asked him a question at, a, at the Ligonier Conference, and he said, that they asked him, R.C., what, what do you want written on your tombstone? And this is just the wit of, 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 of Sproul, and he said, I, I told you I didn't feel well. <laughs> and everyone just bursts out yeah. laughing. That was so funny. There's a, there's a YouTube, I'll put it in the link description, uh, in a podcast description, where it's just R.C. Sproul, like some of his jokes that he does, on, on, he just, such such a... That video is hilarious. In chapter two of your book, you said, uh, quote, I wanted to champion the theology of my champion. And you were talking about uh, Dr. R.C. Sproul, your father. Um, Was there ever a time when you had serious theological disagreements with your dad? No. You know, I never had any substantial theological disagreements with my father, not only as an adult, but even as a child. I, I... had, as I mentioned in the book, a number of conversion experiences, and and uh, there were times in my life as a as a uh, 
uh, high school kid that I, I doubted whether or not I was a Christian. But I never doubted whether or not Christianity was true. Mm. I always believed that the Bible was God's word, that God existed, that he was triune, that Jesus was his son, that he came and he lived and he died. It was raised from the dead. Uh, never doubted that for a moment by God's grace. Um, and again, never had a significant disagreement. Now, I do tell the story uh, in that book about one, and I guess if you have a very small theological mind, but a great deal of theological knowledge, I guess you could call this a, a significant issue. But uh, we used to disagree and argue about infralapsarianism and yeah, superlapsarianism. I remember that. <laughs> And, but even there, you know, he was, he was so gracious. Uh, there were a few times publicly uh, when he was asked about that question, R.C., where are you on the question of interlapsary and superlapsary? <laughs> and he actually said, well, it depends on who's in the room with me. He said, if, if I'm with John Gerson or my mentor, I'm superlapsary or interlapsary. If I'm alone in the room with my son, I'm superlapsary. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, yeah, because he knew he lost. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but my, my point is, and, and here's the thing, when we would disagree, and we had other small disagreements along the line, but they were, you know, not tertiary, I don't know what the four word for tertiary is, but they were less than tertiary issues mm. uh, that we would disagree on. But even when we did, I would tell him, I would say, Dad, I don't want you to get upset with me. I want you to understand that the reason you and I disagree, or the reason I take the position that I do, is because I honestly and sincerely believe that I'm being consistent hmm. with this primary commitment that you and I both share. That's good. We, we both agree on X, uh, but when we get down to Z, I'm seeing my X and my Z in a straight line, and you're, and I think you're veering, hmm. but I'm staying in your line in the same line that you put me in, and uh, you know that was the truth. That was the reality. Hmm. I think you say in your book, it's because he taught you to think logically. And yes, I think exactly. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah, and we can see that example with just the friendships your dad had. You yes. know, um even with Johnny Mac and differences that they had. On yeah, um, one que one question that I definitely wanted to ask in, in his view of eschatology. I remember one time they asked him, uh, "Are you pre mill, all mill, or post mill?" And he says, "Yeah, I change like every every week or every month." <laughs> he said something like that. And I've seen other uh, uh, in in other books having him down as uh, as post millennial. What position would you say that your father held to eschatology? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm not going to disagree with him. I, I, I agree that it was, uh, I mean, I will disagree with him some of the days of the week, because I'm agreeing with the principle that it depends on what day of the week it was. He <laughs> flip-flops on that all the time. Uh, happily, in my judgment, happily, when he was doing his most uh, voluminous writing and speaking on eschatological issues. That was during a time when he was uh, post-millennial, which is the position that I take. Um, and by the way, the position that he takes now as well, because he's fully sanctified. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> that's okay. Great. Oh, man. So that's, you know, I... I I understand why he bounced around, and and you know my own journey was was in some ways similar to his. In fact, uh, it's funny. Uh, what got my dad interested in in in, in creating all this writing is he sort of picked up again this issue of from an apologetic perspective, 
what are we supposed to do with the time frame references in the Gospels where Jesus seems to indicate that he's going to return within the lifetime of the people who are hearing him? Mm-hmm, yeah. And he points out that Albert Schweitzer, uh, the great philanthropist, uh, argued that Jesus was mistaken hmm. about when he was going to come back because it seems clear that he's saying, I'm going to come back soon. Mm-hmm. So what my father did is he, he, he re-entered and re-investigated uh, uh, the issue of preterism, which is the view that says that, uh, well, orthodox partial preterism says mm-hmm. that much of uh, prophecy that most people think is future is actually past. Mm-hmm. Uh, the heretical version, full or complete uh, preterism, actually holds that every prophetic uh, event given in Scripture has already come to pass, right. uh, which is deeply problematic. Yeah. Yeah. As my father got interested in that, what was funny to me is that was one thing we never talked about. When I was growing up, eschatology never came up. Mm. Uh, I I was sent away to a private school in high school, and uh, uh, it wasn't a boarding school, so I lived with a family, and that particular family uh, came from a uh, uh, dispensational background. Every every morning, we used to listen to Chuck Swindoll on the radio for our devotions, Mm. and I happened to, as I'm wont to do, go into the the library in that home and look around, and I picked up this book called Satan is Alive and Well on Planet Earth, which was Hal Lindsey's sequel to... the late great planet Earth, mm-hmm. and read it. I had no idea that this was a dispensational thing, and this wasn't where we came from as a family. And no idea whatsoever. Uh, we just never talked about it. Hmm. Well, fast forward a couple of years, and I'm in college now, and one of my uh, favorite professors uh, just invited anybody who wanted to come to hear this this lecture that wasn't a part of a class one particular evening, and, and I went and attended it, and it was on uh, partial preterism. And I'd never heard that before, but I was so blown away, so excited. I raced back to the dorm, and I called my dad and said, I just heard the most amazing thing. This is so cool. And I started trying to describe it to him, and, and he was like, you know, yawning. Like, <laughs> yeah, okay, son. <laughs> yeah. I know, you didn't I, discover I know this. a new world, son. <laughs> um, you know, and he told me this is called uh, partial preterism, and he said, and I quote, nobody believes that anymore. <laughs> and then, you know, 15 years after yeah. that, he's writing a book in defense of partial preterism. That's funny. Uh, so that was a, a, you know, a part of his eschatological journeys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, r- real quick. Yeah, I, whenever I read Sproul's commentary on Matthew, uh, his commentary on Matthew, when I got to chapter 24, I was like blown away. I was like, I've never heard of this before. So, yeah, I, I had that experience as well. Yeah. Uh, RC, uh, I really enjoy chapter five, and we'll just uh, touch on it a little bit. Just a little, um, uh, the cho- uh, and, and the choices made with no forethought too easily results in consequences with no recourses. Um, can you just talk about the connection with the story of your dad picking a fight with a hemophiliac and the oh, patriarchal pr- uh, the patriarchal oh. principle number one? I, I, I'm happy to do that. Um, and it really, it, it highlights a, a big part of what the book is all about. Mm-hmm. And, but I want to also, before I do that, I want to say this: how encouraging it is to me as a writer when you 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 get that that perfect sentence, that that tweetable gold. 
Mm. And a reader sees it mm. and appreciates it. Mm-hmm. And that's what you just did. And wow. I'm really grateful for that. Well, uh, I like that line quite a bit. Yeah, it's a great. Now, and, and that in yeah. that chapter, I had some, uh, I had put up some other quotes in there that were just awesome. But well, if you could touch about those too, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Go Let's ahead. Talk more about the good things. <laughs> yes. So, um, the, the story again was, was just one of those stories that I remember hearing just being so powerfully moved, despite my young age. I was probably, I don't know, 12 or something when I heard that story. Um, and it, and it, the story wasn't told in the context of the lesson. And just for those who haven't read the book, uh, this particular chapter deals with uh, what my father called patriarchal principle number one. And I talk about how my father comes and says, son, I'm going to give you this uh, rule of life. I want you to, to follow it. I want you to memorize it. I want you to, to hold it dear and close to your heart, put it on your frontlets. Uh, and he you know, called it patriarchal principle number one. And I, you know, I was ready for thunder to come down on Mount Sinai. And he finally gives it to me. And that principle was, son, you don't have to live in a garbage can. <laughs> To know it stinks. <laughs> I'm sorry. And, I got to laugh because that was great. You know, I'm about to enter into uh, my teenage years where I'm going to be facing all sorts of temptations, uh, where I'm going to be tempted to embrace that philosophy that says, you know, I'll try anything once and what I like, I'll try twice. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was trying to tell me, son, you, you know, you need to learn from the experience of others rather than having always to learn from your own experience. And that, again, made me think about uh, that particular story that he he had told me. And in this story, uh, I mentioned that uh, my father went through a period of, uh, when he was in high school, of sort of adolescent rebellion and cynicism and bitterness and he had been uh, just a, an outstanding athlete, and he ended up going to college on an athletic scholarship. But in between, he sort of uh, migrated into the uh, crowd of hoodlums uh, and became kind of a tough guy. And uh, and in that, with respect to that uh, image and that uh, social situation he tells this story about being in class and there was a kid behind him and somehow the kid behind him in class irritated him he didn't do anything that terrible but my father with his short fuse and and being uh scots irish he turned around and popped the kid one in the nose and the kid's nose started bleeding Mm. and uh it kept bleeding and Mm. kept bleeding and kept bleeding and it turned out that this uh, young man that my father had punched in the nose was actually a hemophiliac. Mm. Wow. Mm. And his life was in literal danger. He could have just bled out right there in the classroom. An ambulance was called. He was raced to the hospital, and happily his his life was spared. Um and as powerful as that is for the story, it doesn't get that's just all the setup. Yeah. The really, truly powerful moment happened when his teacher, uh, you know, an older 60 something woman with, you know, gray hair and pearls and probably had glasses that dangled on a chain, very sweet and gentle woman. Uh, she had my father stay after class and told him to stay in his chair and left the classroom and she came back with uh 
you know, a mop and a scrub brush and a bucket and some water and some soap and came up to my father and came up to this puddle of blood. And instead of giving my father all of these cleaning tools, she herself got on her hands and knees and started scrubbing uh, that blood off the floor. Mm. And my father, you know, pled with her, please let me let me do that. And she didn't say a word mm. because she knew that it would be a more powerful lesson to him for him to watch her do this rather than for him to do it himself. Mm-hmm, yeah. And that, you know, cut through that toughness, mm, yeah. through that, that, that uh, raw exterior and, you know, prodded him in the center of his being. And so much so, again, that when he told me the story uh, 20 or 30 years later, uh, it knocked me over. I never forgot it. And, uh, you know, it ended up in this book. Yeah, I like how you quote, you said, my father had no ranting, no threatening, but he deeply felt shame at seeing the fruit of his own behavior. I thought that was really powerful. And there's, uh, I, I'm not going to, you guys got to go read the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- that chapter was just really, really powerful for sure. Um, RC, uh, in chapter six, um, and we're quoting your father here. If you want wisdom, he said, you first must get knowledge. Knowledge is the raw material from which wisdom is built. Talk about talk about how your dad connected knowledge with wisdom in the way he lived his life. Well, you know, um, I, I think a, a better way to explain that is maybe something that I, I think I talked about in a different chapter. I'm not sure which one. But it, it goes back to his capacity as a teacher. And I think there's something that people profoundly misunderstand about that. Yeah, my father could take uh, a difficult theological concept that uh, he knew in the abstract that maybe people could, you know, sort of repeat in the abstract, but he would connect it to something common, something ordinary, something that other, you know, that the people in the audience would have experienced and would understand. Mm. And you know, when he would do that and, and you would see the light bulbs going off on all, you know, above the heads of all the people in the room as they're, they're grasping this, uh, a lot of people would, would then, you know, approach my dad or, or, or wonder themselves, how did he do that? How did he connect that idea, that theological concept to that experience or that thing in the real world? How did he, how did he, make that contact so that we could actually see uh, what the point was. And they, they sort of assumed that my father just sort of started out with this idea, this theological idea, and then he sort of scanned through his memory banks or he scanned through the the universe trying to seek out and find uh, something to draw a parallel with that idea. But that's not at all what he did. That's what we tend to do, and that's one of the reasons why we're such horrible communicators. Mm. Uh, We think we can take abstract ideas and and throw meat on it, and it's going to become real somehow. Um, But rather, I said, look, what my father did, he, he, he didn't say, yes, that experience will work to illustrate that point. Rather, when he had the experience, he had he saw it through the lens of that doctrine that he knew to so he experienced the experience in light of the theology, not the other way around. Hmm. 
And again, that's something that, that he poured into me. I, I think a better way of describing it maybe is uh, actually something C.S. Lewis said. You know, we we have this propensity to see the Chronicles of Narnia as if C.S. Lewis, you know, had a, a systematic theology on one side of his desk and a children's book on the other side of his desk, and he tried to, you know, bring the two together. How am I going to teach the biblical doctrine of Revelation? Well, I can put that in the story here. How am I going to teach the doctrine of the person and work of Christ? Well, I can put that in the story here. That's not at all what happened. Mm-hmm. Lewis tells us what happened. He said the whole thing started with a mental image of a fawn in the woods, in the snow, carrying packages. Mm, He started with the story, not with the message. Mm. And that's how you make true art. So he was very existential, as it were, in the way that he lived his theology. It was not just cerebral. It came out of the way he lived. Right, and again, that that comes back to the core of the book, saying, hey, this is a book about grace. This is a book about Mm. how my dad understood in that existential way what grace was. He understood his need for it, and out of that, he understood the need to give it. And, you know, Jesus says the same thing. Jesus doesn't say, you know, if you're having trouble forgiving your brother, what I really want you to do is... Um, write an essay on expiation, propitiation, <laughs> and atonement. Right. Okay. What he wants us to do is remember the forgiveness that we've received. Amen. Yeah. That's our experience good. of being forgiven is what drives our ability to forgive others. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. So along those lines, uh, RC, um, you, you describe in your book uh, the Imago Dei, that is the image of God, and how it is extrinsic to us, imprinted on us by God, and how it influenced the way that your dad interacted with people, being very deferential and, and humble in, in the way that he interacted with people, despite their status in the world. Can you talk about that a little bit and describe how you experienced well, yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, that, that, first of all, that, that particular story is an illustration of uh, a uh, rhetorical strategy that I watched my father practice, and I have aspired uh, often to copy it. And that rhetorical strategy was that he would say something deeply and profoundly shocking, precisely what we don't uh, expect to hear from him, something that sounds like it's pushing against what we already know uh, he believes or we all believe together as believers. And he would eventually uh, sort of show how what he said is actually true without undoing the thing that we already thought was true. What, what the illustration he gives, I remember being there and thinking, oh, my stars, he must have had a stroke. I don't know what's going on. Because he was at a conference and he just kept insisting over and over again, we are justified by works. Without works, there's no possibility that we will be saved. We're, you know, Works are the ground of our justification. Works, 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 works. And you're thinking, where you dropped all your knots. You yeah. dropped, <laughs> what in the world? What are you doing? <laughs> And, of course, the punchline was, we're justified by the works of Christ for us. He was giving a lesson on double imputation. He wasn't denying imputation. He was doubling down on it, if you will. Uh, And so in the same way, I remember being in class and and having him affirm, you know, uh, that all men 
inherently are God's image bearers. It's not true that human life is inherently sacred. Mm, right. I don't believe in the sanctity of human life. And you're like, what in the world? Where where is this coming from? Where, yes. uh, especially if you you know don't know about his habits. If you know about his habits, you're thinking, oh, I want to see him get out of this one, like Harry Houdini. <laughs> uh, and of course, the point was not that there were people without the image of God. He said, yes, it's universal, but it, no, it's not intrinsic. Well, how can that be? Well, mm. it's simple. It's universal because all men everywhere have it. But it's not intrinsic because all men everywhere had it given to them, or as you described it, stamped upon them by God the Father. It comes from outside of them. Sure. Just like the righteousness that justifies us. Sure. It comes from outside of them. It's extra nos. Yes. Uh, and, and that's... Uh, you know, the, the glorious truth. Now, again, that's the idea. That's the theological idea. But I had the blessing of watching my dad, who, you know, was a, uh, in our little circles, I went to remember that, that you know, more people know who, uh, I don't know, more people know who uh, uh, Kenneth Copeland is than know who R.C. Sproul mm, is. Yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, that yeah, guy. You know, <laughs> or more people know who uh, Le'Veon Bell is than who. <laughs> yeah, we need um, to ch- we need to change that. <laughs> we're working on it. We're yeah, working we're, yeah, we're working on it. <laughs> but the but in the circles that he was in, he was you know well known, yeah. and yet he never took on airs. And in fact, he would bend over backwards to make other people feel comfortable. And when we would go to places where people tend to just sort of be in the background to most of us, he saw people. So he would engage, uh, you know, the, the, the waiter in conversation, friendly, warm conversation. You know, it wasn't, you know, he wasn't a browbeating evangelist, mm-hmm. but he would express concern. And, and boy, you know, everywhere he would go and, and you know, later in their lives, my uh, my mother had the wisdom to uh, stop pretending that she could cook, <laughs> and my father had the wisdom to stop asking her to try. <laughs> That's they, funny. They would eat out almost every night of the week, that... one place or another, and so they and they would have their favorite places, and they would get to know the wait staff in all of these wow. places, wow. and they would develop relationships sure. wow. with these folks who would come and bring their troubles and and try on their shoulders, and my dad would minister to these folks. Just and, and again, it's just sort of fun when you realize this person has no idea who this guy is. Mm. Yeah. And this guy isn't saying to them, my dad's not saying to them, do you know who I am? He is just coming alongside them and ministering to them uh, with great humility and and blessing them. And it, it was just a beautiful thing to see. Mm. I have lived enough uh, in the world of Christian celebrities to know that that really isn't a very common thing at all. Mm. It's very unusual, unfortunately. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Well... As we get close to landing this plane on this podcast, uh, RC, I, I love the way that you close out the book with the tribute to your father, not only because, uh, as I was explaining earlier, my, my father recently passed away a few weeks ago, and he, your, your father, had such a big influence in his life, and subsequently a huge influence in my life as well. 
And so I just really related to so much that you wrote in this book. But you close out the book by saying, I miss my father and look forward to that glorious day when I will be reunited with him in glory. But for now, I cling to the one who redeemed us both. I am at peace because I belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to the Prince of Peace. And that's really where it all goes back to, that we belong uh, as redeemed believers in, in the Lord Jesus Christ to our faithful Savior. And so I would, would just appreciate it if you would take an opportunity to share the gospel with all of our listeners. Oh, my, my pleasure. You know, I, I had the pleasure, and it's, it's actually in the book as well, uh, the words that I was able to speak uh, at my father's uh, burial. Mm, yeah. Uh, and I, I tried to pull an RC. That is, I, I, I tried to uh, do a rhetorical device that would surprise people where I started describing uh, this person, this man who uh, was pushed into ministry uh, in part by his mother, how this fellow uh, had a profound influence when he was young, how he, he you know impacted all sorts of people from all different cultures. And I'm just making this long list of, of descriptors that apply to my father. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know the surprise is, of course, that at the end, you know, that we've come here to honor this man, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Right. That's who I'm talking. About. Amen. Yeah. And and I talk about how the we can't honor my father if we spend our time here at this gravesite trying to honor my father. The only mm-hmm. thing way we can honor him mm. is to remember the gospel. And that's as I said from the beginning. My goal in this book is to show forth the power and the glory of the gospel, the promise of God, where he tells us that when we recognize the reality of our sin, when we recognize the truth that we have rebelled against our loving Father who's been good to us from the beginning, who put our first parents in a garden and gave them everything they could possibly want, and they rebelled and we have been rebelling ever since, and when we recognize that, if we will come to him instead of run from him, and if we will plead with him for grace and for forgiveness, as we read about in the story of the publican and the and the sinner, the Pharisee who cried out, I thank you, Lord, I'm not like other men, but I, I do this right and I do that right. And then this poor, dejected, low-life fellow beat his breast and cried out, Lord, be merciful to me, mm. a sinner. Mm. And Jesus says, that man, the second man, went home justified. Yeah. That's mm. what it takes. Amen. It doesn't take a PhD in theology. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take anything but a recognition of our dependence upon his grace and upon the work of Christ, who suffered the wrath of the Father for us voluntarily, mm-hmm. and who was vindicated as an innocent man by being raised from the dead. And the scriptures tell us we were raised with him. We are declared innocent with him. If we rest in him, if we are in union with him, not only are our sins forgiven, not only are we vindicated, but we are adopted as the very children of God. Amen. And And the promise is, as the children of God, that one day we will see him as he is, and we will be like him. Amen and amen. amen. That's beautiful. That was great. Uh, And and just for our listeners out there, we do have an international audience. I mean, we're going to be sending out some books, um, but... 
I mean, we barely just scratched the surface in this podcast about the book. Oh, yeah. you've like, got to go out and, and get a copy of this book. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Where could uh, uh, our listeners uh, get your book besides Bridge Ministries? Yeah. If you're in the community. They can get it at Bridge Ministries. They can get it at uh, Amazon.com. They can also get it uh, through the publisher at Ichthus Publications, I C H T H U S Publications.com. All right. And if you're going to purchase on Amazon Smile, uh, Steve? Yeah, so if you just uh, if you purchase it on Amazon, if you'd be so kind as to go through uh, Amazon Smile and just look up uh, Bridge Ministries of Laredo through for your uh, beneficiary uh, ministry beneficiary, then a, a small percentage of your purchase goes mm-hmm. to us. It doesn't cost you any more. We just benefit from uh, from a donation from Amazon. Yeah, and yeah. what social media platforms can we find you, RC, as well? Well, right now, uh, I'm most busy at Twitter, and my Twitter handle is just at RC Sproul JR. I am working on rejuvenating and and bringing back my own podcast called Jesus Changes Everything. Oh, wow. And I'm also, uh, you know, hoping uh, to get finished with a reboot of my website, which is rcsproljr.com. Awesome. 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 Well, thank you so much for coming on Bridge Radio, and we definitely have to have you back on Absolutely. for another book. Yes. <laughs> I would love well, to I do. I hope you will. I appreciate the invitation, guys. I would love to do Tearing Down Strongholds sometime. That was a uh, that was a great book. I loved that book when I read well, it a few you. years ago. Well, thank you. That was ago. the lecture that he gave. Was it? <laughs> I wondered about that. <laughs> Yeah, that was excellent. And I'm glad to hear that. I, I always, anytime someone mentions turning down strongholds, I'm saying, oh, you're the one that bought it. Yeah. <laughs> no, more than one person should buy it. Yes. Uh, it was an excellent book. I, a great apologetic. Yeah. Thank you. All right, uh, RC, thank you so much for, for joining us. I was going to say, my pleasure. If you would like to learn more about Bridge Ministries, please visit our website at bridgemenlaredo.org. That's bridgemenlaredo.org and click the About Us tab. We are a Reformed Christian bookstore and coffee shop who is dedicated to discipling and equipping the saints for the work of ministry and the building up of the body of Christ. Though we are not a church, and we want to make that clear, we are indeed a support to other churches and ministries, providing affordable new and used Bibles and gospel-centered Christian books and study resources. We are not only a gospel outreach to our local community, but also out to the nations through this podcast. Please prayerfully consider supporting Bridge Ministries through a one-time or monthly gift. This allows us to continue not only Bridge Radio, but also our Bible studies, conferences, lectures, and so much more that we do here. And as always, what is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening, and see you on the next episode.